I think AI will be the most transformational technology in the history of the wealth management industry. And it will likely be 10 times more impactful than the internet. It's an intelligence platform and it reduces the cost of intelligence where the non-high human value added activities essentially go down by 90, 90 plus percent in terms of cost and allowing advisors the opportunity to do more of the human value add. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Connected Advisor. I am your host, Kyle Van Pelt, CEO and co-founder of Mile Marker. And today I am joined by Spencer Siegel. Spencer is the founder and CEO of a company called Actify, who has just been a pillar in the wealth management industry for over 20 years. He's a wealth of knowledge and insight, and I am super pumped to have him come and share some of that insight with all of you today. Spencer, thanks for being with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you too. So Spencer, I, I would love to kind of have you, I love everybody's story about how they got into this industry. Um, and I think your journey is an interesting one because you, you got into the industry, which I know a little bit of, and then you you got into a place where you helped a bunch of firms on more of a services consulting, and then you've dive, you know, dove into more of a technology application now. So would love for people who aren't familiar with you to get familiar with you. So give us the, the Spencer Siegel story. Well, the story begins um, back in the late 80s where I was an intern for a wealth management firm. I then went on to get my CFP and subsequently my AIFA and was a practicing advisor until 1992. I then went on to co-found Big Charts, which was one of the very early fintechs in 1993. It's still around. We sold it to CBS Market Watch and the Wall Street Journal, Dow Jones bought the bought it from CBS Market Watch, which, which is interesting. And then I went on to be focused on advisor-facing technology at a couple of large financial institutions, kind of the predecessor firms of Ameriprise and RBC, and then founded Actify in 2003 on the singular mission to enable financial institutions and their advisors to deliver world-class integrated advice more effectively and profitably. I love that. That's awesome. Uh, you just mentioned something there that kind of piqued my my interest. Uh, you talked about world-class advice. You know, there's lots of people out there listening to this, all different types of sizes and firms and advisors. In your experience and in your opinion, what does world-class advice constitute? Well, it's it's interesting that you asked that question. I actually have a slide on that uh, where I... <laughs> very specifically define world-class integrated advice, which is defined as aligning a client's and or employee's core values with their goals. The advisor provides holistic advice on how to optimize their balance sheet, the client's balance sheet, income statement, and cash flow. And this advice is generated by a multidisciplinary team and or model trained by a multidisciplinary team applying very specific domain expertise across all six areas of wealth management. The characteristics of it are uh, a harmonized approach that synchronizes with the client's core values and their financial goals holistically, considering the, the overall balance sheet, the income statement, cash flow are fully optimized in alignment with the values and their goals. Uh, multidisciplinary team of experts, which I shared before, 
and then seamless alignment between the advice clients receive and their core values and uh, aligns around the behavioral coaching and, and so forth. So I, I've, I've spent a lot of time really crafting that. And what, what clients really want in the end of the day is to maximize the probability of achieving their goals and the after-tax cash flow that can be allocated to those goals in alignment with what they truly value. That is uh, really what I can tell you've thought that out. Uh, and that's excellent. Because I think everybody, you know, it's when you think about our industry, of course, people want to provide great advice. I don't think you get into this business to just say, nah, I'm going to give really bad advice, uh, but I sure hope that lots of people trust me to give that advice uh, and invest their money with me. So I don't know if people have been as intentional as you have about defining what great advice looks like or how they could measure it maybe more accurately. It, you know, it seems like something that's always been more of like a gut feel or, oh, you'll know it when you see it kind of thing. So what kind of drove you down that path to, to try and really put a definition around what great advice looks like? Yeah, I mean, it, it's been an exploratory adventure since I was an advisor. One of the foundational stories is uh, when I was an advisor back in the early days in the 90s, I, I remember a couple coming to me and I was the first advisor they had ever met with and they were in their 50s and this was on a old DOS-based uh, DOS computer uh, age myself a little bit, but uh, I ran the old retirement plan projection, which uh, went off a cliff. And I'll never forget the look on their faces uh, of really, you know, despair. You know, they they had been excited to come see their first financial advisor and thought, you know, they had done things right. They didn't have debt. They had saved money, etc. But they didn't save enough money to accomplish their their retirement goals. And uh, at that point, I realized, you know, the, the paradox of the wealth management industry are the people who least need access to world-class integrated advice have the most access, people who have $10 million plus net worths, and the people who most need it uh, have the least access to it. That's good. I'm, I'm glad that you've done that, and I appreciate that. So that leads actually to another question I have. You have a lot of experience working with firms of all different types of sizes, but you've primarily worked with firms that I would say are at scale or are scaling very quickly. Some of the premier brands in the wealth management space. And I think a lot of the people listening to this aspire to be, you know, an enterprise wealth management firm at scale. So in your estimation, let's assume that they are providing world-class advice, uh, world-class integrated advice, but they're small and they want to scale. What does it take for an advisor who's leading a firm that wants to scale to cross the chasm, if you will, to, to become a firm that actually does get to scale, that is scaling, that's growing? What are kind of the, the components it takes to, to, to get from here to there? Sure. Well, it, it comes down to people, process, and technology. My little mantra is people trump process, process trumps technology, and technology is critical to building a scalable and efficient practice. The scarcest resource in our industry is professional management. And there's a fundamental difference. If, if you're a professional manager of a wealth management firm, your schedule and calendar looks dramatically different than a financial advisor's calendar would look. If you're a professional manager, 
you're talking about process reviews, you're doing employee reviews, you're doing recruiting calls, you're doing strategic planning, you're doing all of those sorts of things. If you're an advisor, you're focusing on uh, preparing for client meetings, you know, really coming up with advice strategies, chairing the investment committee, those sorts of things. And those are totally different skill sets. There are a few people that are equally good at both, but that's very rare. And I think the, the most critical ingredient is people. And it's specifically folks that have real experience managing businesses at scale. Yeah, I read an article the other day along those lines where it was talking about how in our industry, there's a massive shift happening from the need for deal makers, you know, because everything over the past couple of years was M&A and inorganic growth driven and who could go put together deals and structure them. Obviously, that's still important. But the biggest need now for a lot of RIAs is professional operators because, you know, you have to be able to run these things, especially as they get more complicated as you're acquiring all these firms. And it seems like not just in our space, uh, in, you know, enterprise SaaS as a whole, in a bunch of other things, it feels like there's a real lack of operational know-how. Do you think that's just because being an operator is incredibly difficult and, and complex? Uh, or do you just think that there's a, a lack of interest in being an operator out there uh, in the marketplace? It's a little bit of both. You know, some folks gravitate to that role, some folks don't, but you know, it's important that there's a relatively consistent client experience and optimizing the workflows and processes and technologies to align with that consistent client experience. You know, the client experience doesn't need to be consistent across all segments of clients. If you have a 401k, for example, that you're advising, that's different than if it's a high net worth family office versus a average client type, but you do need to have consistency within those segments. Yeah, I think that's great because it makes it easier to operate if you have consistency there, right? Uh, you can't be all things to all people, right? Exactly. And you can't become more efficient if every advisor does everything differently. Yeah, I think that's a great point. That's a good segue into another thing I was wanting to talk with you about. So a lot of the firms that we interact with um, and that I know personally run something like EOS or some variation of that, right? Some, some uh, EOS stands for Entrepreneur Operating System for the, those listening who, who don't use it, um, which is you know more or less a set of principles and common language around how to run a firm. And as you talk about professional managers and operators, I think it makes sense to have some sort of set of principles or things like that. But you kind of moved from the consulting side of things in the business to building out this platform or a set of tooling for great operators to be able to run these principles or these set of principles for a firm. So talk to us a little bit about why you got into that. You know, why, what was the space you see? Why did you kind of take Actify into this, this tooling for helping people manage and grow their businesses and, you know, dare I say, operate them better? Yeah, well, it, it comes down to looking at these financial institutions back to the mission. The fact that the institution is asking the advisor to really understand the client's needs, uh, put a plan together that's going to achieve their goals, and then execute on that plan, there was incongruency between the, the financial institution 
doing that for the advisor. So, you know, the, the management team of a large RA, for example, or a comprehensive wealth management firm, larger firm, they didn't walk their talk. And we really saw a huge need to and proven KPI improvement when you actually do that for the advisor. Do you understand the advisor's business plan? What are their business goals? Do you have a plan to help them achieve those goals? And can you execute on that plan in alignment with the operating system? So uh, really fine tuning the EOS model or EOS principles, I should say, to be able to tailor to the, the wealth management industry and, and what are the specific business goals of a wealth manager. EOS doesn't have the concept of net new assets or AUM. It's generic to you can run it for a plumbing business, you can run it for a refrigerator sales business, and run it for a transportation company. It necessarily is totally and completely generic. We decided to really tune that set of principles and other principles specifically to the wealth management industry and even more specifically to a firm that really wants to help their advisors build better practices. Yeah, I love that. Because what I'm hearing you saying is, hey, you don't have to stop using EOS. In fact, it's great to do something like that, to have common language, to have principles. But there's a lot of generic EOS tooling out there, You know, whether you're using maybe a spreadsheet or there's like, I think some more specifically branded EOS software tooling out there. I think what you're saying is, hey, those tools aren't necessarily going to be great to help you operate a wealth management company better because they are generic by nature to fit any type of business. You've built specific tooling to help people realize this more efficient business operation process in the wealth management industry. Precisely. And we yeah. started by building it for ourselves. I mean, we at one point were consulting with a half of the Barron's top 100 advisors in the United States, and we needed scale in our consultative practice. And then that then became Success Pro, and then we pivoted the entire business to really focus on enabling financial institutions to, to do this themselves. No, that's awesome. So sticking on the theme of, of tools and being efficient, what are you seeing in advisor technology right now? Because it really does feel like we are at this inflection point, if you will. Interestingly enough, I mean, I think you still have kind of what what I refer to as the core four stay pretty solid, which is, you know, everybody's got a, you know, custodial relationship with a, a name uh, or a company you recognize. You've kind of got your portfolio management relationship and that's staying relatively stable. Uh, you've got a financial planning relationship and you've got a CRM, right? Those are the, the core four. A lot of the names stay the same that we see there, obviously a little, but but it seems like an explosion of these sort of satellite specific point solutions that are, people are trying to then plug into the core four. And there's, you know, an inflection point of, of those types of solutions. So from where you sit and in, in the lens that you have, what are you seeing happening in advisor technology right now? There's an embarrassment of riches, if you will. There's so many different capabilities, so many specialized vendors that, you know, are exploding. There's no better time in advisor technology than now. The trick, though, is to adapt your processes to take advantage of them. I, I'm seeing more and more vendors be challenged, and again, like the core four the, and even the, the bigger vendors that cross multiple lanes within that core four or greater, being able to 
drive behavioral change and their best practices to the individual firm. So I think that the trick is to utilize those technologies effectively requires process reengineering work and requires a context, you know, the context of how these different tools work together. And that is where the big gap is. So it's easy to acquire these tools. It's much less easy to use them, and it's even less easy to optimize them for a set of best practices aligned to your business objectives. And that, that is very difficult and being, becoming more difficult by the moment in terms of the explosion of technologies. Yeah, uh, we hear that a lot. You know, uh, depending on what the technology is, a lot of our clients will say, "Man, it feels like you have to have a PhD in this system to fully understand it." You know, I've been I've been in here, I've been using this every day for years, and I still don't feel like I've I've got the full depth of it. And nobody has time to truly learn these things to the extent that they you know that they have available. So I think that's why there is so much opportunity for firms like you know what you're doing with Success Pro and all of these other things is just okay. Hold on a second. Rather than trying to learn all of these things to the, you know, to the ends of their capabilities, how do you just create your processes, your client experience journey, everything that your firm needs to do so that we can achieve the goals and success that we want to as a firm and make the technology work for us rather than us work for the technology? Exactly. And the, the objective is not to learn the technology to the nth degree. The objective is to achieve your business goals and improve the overall client experience in alignment with those business objectives. And the, the vendors are a great resource uh, in terms of, you know, most vendors will share their best practices in terms of improving the advisor's businesses. I mean, the, they're incented to make sure that the advisor is getting value aligned with, to their business goals to continue to sustain the investment. This podcast is brought to you by Turncast. We make game-changing content for fintech and financial services companies. Learn more at turncast.com. So, again, you you just mentioned you worked with, you know, half of the Barron's Top 100. You've seen these incredible wealth management firms, but the trend for a while has been kind of what I would say creating infrastructure for advisors, you know, that want to plug into it and work on it, right? So you kind of have I would say different levels of, of an advisory firm. You've got what I call small on purpose advisory firms, right? So, hey, it's, you know, maybe you, a, a partner, maybe an office manager, an admin or something, but it's it's purposefully small. You're not trying to scale or grow or be big. Um, you've got firms that I think are trying to uh, plug into infrastructure because they want to focus on serving clients, but they want to grow, they want to get big, and they want supporting infrastructure of a platform to help them grow. And then you've got firms that want to be that infrastructure um, that, that people plug into. So with that being said, I think what's an interesting challenge in the technology space right now, at least by my estimation, is most technology is built with the assumption that an advisor is going to do everything along that client journey. But what do you think needs to change right now if I'm an advisor that's plugging into infrastructure and maybe my infrastructure is running you know, planning cases for me, or they're running the performance reporting for me, or we have centralized trading and rebalancing that I submit into, or all of that type of stuff. You know, how do you think firms should be thinking about setting up and structuring their technology in a way that is for more centralized operations to support advisors that are just working with clients and trying to, to be more client-facing? Yeah, I mean, it starts and ends with the 
firms, you know, the XYZ firm way. You you need to have a well-defined process, including like swim lane diagrams. I mean, we we use a lot of modeling tools to determine the process, whether it's onboarding a new client, whether it's preparing for client meeting, whether it's quarter end, whatever process is being done, we need to clearly delineate which system is used, what are the tasks, who does the tasks. And that is really important in terms of taking full advantage of the platform, which includes the people, the process, and the technology. With that being said, what do you think about open architecture as a concept, right? So many firms grew on this concept of we're going to be open architecture. We're going to, you know, quote unquote, support your independence by letting you choose anything. And we'll take on the, you know, the headache and all of that stuff of, you know, this explosion of technology. And maybe when open architecture became a thing, people didn't expect that there would be this embarrassment of riches of different types of technology. But do you think that you can run a XYZ firm way, uh, operational way, while also still supporting open architecture? Or do you think that we're going to start to see open architecture as a trend die? Well, there's the concept of open architecture and there's the reality. The reality is you you can only run, well, you can run multiple CRMs, but that would make no sense. You only can run one CRM, one planning, you know, kind of the core four. And the processes have to be optimized for those technologies vis-a-vis the integrations, the APIs, the workflows, et cetera. You can optimize for multiple sets of technologies, but when it comes to your process, the XYZ firm process, it has to be on a particular stack and fully optimized for that stack. So the principles of interoperability between you know, portfolio management and financial planning is uh, very much alive and actually arguably even more easy to integrate as the web services calls, APIs, all this technical stuff becomes easier and easier for firms to integrate with. But what fundamentally is challenging is defining what is the client journey and even further what is the minimum daily requirement? Every client, every time needs to get this experience. And then the advisor can add the icing on the cake, things that are very client specific that maybe they only do for this client or do for that client individually. So being able to delineate between what is sort of a requirement, uh, it could be a legal requirement or it could be a firm requirement from a service level and then what is the extra on top that necessarily should be tailored to the individual client? I love it. I think that's excellent. Uh, a, a conversation around advisor technology right now would not be complete without talking about AI. Maybe a conversation around technology as a whole wouldn't be complete without talking about AI right now. Um, there's a lot of ways we can go with this, but I'm just curious your thoughts in general on AI for the wealth management industry. Yeah, I I think AI will be the most transformational technology in the history of the wealth management industry. And it will likely be 10 times more impactful than the internet. So the internet really dramatically reduced the cost of communication. So the internet is, in essence, a communication tool where you can distribute content or video, whatever content you want. What AI does is it's an intelligence platform. 
and it reduces the cost of intelligence where the non-high human value-added activities essentially go down by 90, 90 plus percent in terms of cost and allowing advisors the opportunity to do more of the human value add and you know, CSRs and, and so forth. So I think there will be incredible automation of things that can and should be automated, and there will be a premium placed on client-specific human value added activities around explaining concepts to clients, client meetings, little touches from a relational standpoint that really matter to the client. I think that is excellent. You know, I'm curious on how you're thinking about this too, because I, I agree it'll provide almost like superpowers to an advisor. However, I think for a lot of the people trying to sift through all of this at the moment, there's just so many questions. And, you know, this ties in with even I've got this embarrassment of riches of advisors technology happening over here. And now I've got to sift through all of the different AI things. And I know there's compliance and regulatory concerns too of, you know, what about our data? What about this? What about that? So for people who want to implement AI over the next 12 months or six months or whatever it looks like, I mean, do you think it's as simple as just trying to plug open AI into what you're doing? Or, you know, do oh. you think there's a better way for people to think about applying AI to the wealth management business? Well, I, and I've, I've built a whole thesis around this particular topic. So I'll, there, there's five elements to uh, my, my thesis. One is AI can reduce the expense of non-high human value-added activities by over 90%. The second is this can lead to significantly more value to the client at higher margins to the advisor. Third, the winners will be the firms that build their own proprietary models or, or fine-tune models on top of a public LLM or open source LLM based on their expertise and proprietary data and or leverage an AI model that fully aligns with their philosophy on wealth management. The reality is, is that you'd be absolutely nuts to enter PII or trade secret information into a publicly available ChatGPT model or Claude 2 model, right? The fourth element of our thesis is the, the fact that full automation is not desirable or effective to deliver world-class integrated advice. Clients prefer working with experts and not relying on an AI that hallucinates or where the rationale for the decision cannot be understood by the client. You know, if the advisor is like, I don't know where this advice came from. I can't explain it to you. Well, that doesn't instill confidence in the advisor. And then lastly, firms integrating AI into their existing processes will create higher client value and higher margins. So that that's essentially the thesis. I think in the early days of this, you can leverage sort of off-the-shelf AI, i.e. Zoom is a perfect example, you know, and, and there's all sorts of, you know, the Zoom AI where, you know, you, you record the client meeting and it summarizes the meeting and that sort of thing. Box has a lot of out-of-the-box AI where you can search your or your documents. But I think the real opportunity, and there, there will be probably more than 50, less than 100 big winners that build proprietary AI, you know, fine-tuned AI models on foundational LLM models that are, are very fine-tuned to particular philosophies. And those 
are overlaid with an expert system where the advisor can explain in plain English to clients, well, why did you do this versus that? The, the logic will be very transparent across these models. And, and that's going to be the winning formula. But that is not a walk in the park. No, too. no, not. And I, I agree very almost whole, wholesale with your thesis on that. And, you know, obviously at MileMarker, we do a lot with data. We do a lot with different things for people. And, you know, we think uh, in order to execute a lot of what Spencer's talking about, you know, you also need to, you have to have a, a cohesive data strategy to be able to have a successful AI strategy, um, especially if you're not just going to be using a public GPT or a public LLM, as he's talking about. There's a lot of people who I think are trying to figure out what to do with their data. This is a huge thing you have to take care of to be able to be successful with AI. Completely agree. I mean, you, you can't pass go, you can't collect 200 if you don't have clean data consolidated around the, the core four, is your expression, that really is trainable. Even further, you know, the advice rationale, what are the rule sets? And, and the, the interesting thing, and, and I'll, I'll demystify a little bit about AI. I mean, AI has been around since the 1950s, starting with expert systems. So the category in, in generative AI is sort of the, the new kid on the block that's garnering a lot of uh, attention. But there are you know, expert systems, there's machine learning, there's deep learning, and then there's generative AI. And, and all four of those things working together is what is going to really systematize the non-high human value added activities become a co-pilot for advisors on the advice slash next best action side. And, and those things coming together are going to be absolutely transformational. I, I saw the dawn of the internet age back uh, circa 1993. This is much, much bigger, but it's, it's going to take a lot of the data strategy, the expert rule systems, all of those things coming together. And, and I don't think uh, a small firm is going to be able to tackle that on their own. Well said. All right. This is the part of the show where we're going to transition to a segment that we call the Mile Marker Minute. So this is a, a series of lightning round questions. Uh, so you have a minute to answer all of these questions, uh, right? So, you know, they're, they're quick answers uh, off the top of your head. Most of them are fun. Um, so are you ready for the Mile Marker Minute, Spencer? Okay, shoot. All right, here you go. Question number one. What is the best book that you read in 2023? Clear Thinking by Shane Parrish. Oh, love it. Great podcast too, by the way. Uh, if anybody doesn't listen to uh, his podcast called The Knowledge Project, go check it out. Question number two. What is the single most important metric that firms should be tracking in order to help them be successful? Net new revenue. Net new revenue. I love it. Okay. Spencer, fill in the blank. Taylor Swift is blank. Talented. There you go. I love it. All right. My final question for you in the Mile Marker Minute. What is the best part about the Twin Cities? The people. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to beat Midwestern people. Yeah. Yeah. I've built a lot of really great relationships in the Twin Cities area. It's definitely not the weather. <laughs> Yeah, if anybody wants to claim that the weather in the Twin Cities is the best part, please uh, please email us in and, uh, and let us know. Well, Spencer, this has been an awesome conversation uh, ranging from what does it take to be a successful enterprise firm who's delivering world-class integrated advice 
to incredible insights and knowledge on advisor technology. So thanks so much for gifting your time to uh, us and to the audience and dropping all of this insight. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, man. Well, thanks so much, everybody. This was another episode of The Connected Advisor. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe so you can be notified when the next one comes out and we will catch you on the next one. Thanks.